In all areas, the UK continues to backtrack. Yep, well, well, we'll end that there because we're doing a bit of backtracking ourselves this week. Anyone who follows us on Twitter might have seen that I said there wouldn't be an episode this weekend for a variety of reasons. But anyway, we are having an episode and we'll explain that shortly. Sean? Well, no, it's very simple, Colm. You lied. You just lied. This is the week for exposing lies and liars and the lying liars who tell lies. You lied to the general public of the whole entire well, world I, I wasn't, by I saying wasn't we in wouldn't command, be doing this. I wasn't in command of the full information available at the time. And I think I, I can produce a WhatsApp that might suggest I, otherwise. I, I was advised. I was advised by the best people that we didn't have really sufficient information on which to base a podcast and anyway we're not doing a whole podcast it's only half really our usual duration even if that a so, mini pod no dog will be properly walked by those people who download this podcast that's true a trip around the garden maybe or, or a walk around the green or maybe just down to the shop or a socially distanced pint at a table outside their local pub maybe something along those lines mm, Any, don't, don't oversell it it might catch on anyway you had your head in a very different story this week before events conspired to to make us have a podcast what have you been concerning yourself mostly with this week? Well, mostly it's been concerning ourselves with issues of truth uh, relating to the conduct of the British government um, and the issue, the all-important issue of Christmas parties uh, and the slightly less important but probably more expensive issue of redecorating uh, the Downing Street flat and then of course the uh, happy moment when uh, Mr Boris Johnson was able to get away from it all and spend the night uh, with his wife who was giving birth to their second child. Congratulations. Uh, that counts as, as a, an easy night off from work. You can imagine just how rough and tough it's been a week uh, in work. Right. However, that is not the topic of our little uh, mini-pod uh, this afternoon. No, because no indeed. Although th- that topic that you just described is not entirely unrelated to Brexit because a former prominent member of the Vote Leave campaign has been delighting in the Prime Minister's difficulties. So there is at least some tenuous Brexit link there that allows us to shoehorn it into this podcast. Anyway, this afternoon you were speaking to a senior British government official. Yeah, and, and uh, who broke news to us that um, you and me and, and that other chap over in Brussels who, who's just so ashamed of himself, he won't show his face this week, uh, we, we appear to have missed a, a really significant shift by the British government, uh, and that is uh, that they are no longer emphasising that the talks that have been going on for these several months now uh, between Mara Shevchevich's team and, and uh, Lord Frost's team concerning the Northern Ireland Protocol, uh, that this issue of governance and the role of the European Court of Justice uh, is not necessarily the deal breaker in all of this. And in fact, uh, they might well be open to just doing a deal on the practical problems uh, of uh, implementing right. the protocol in Northern Ireland, the customs forms, the sausage checks, uh, and all that sort of thing, trusted trader schemes, to try and get this so-called green channel uh, flowing properly so goods can come from Great Britain into Northern Ireland that, if they're going to stay in Northern Ireland, uh, will have little or no right. uh, actual checking and inspection done on them. Now, they're not saying that this will never be an issue, and in fact, the official you were speaking to reserved the right to say, I told you so, when this comes to bite the whole relationship between the European Union and the UK when it comes back to bite them further down the line, the British government reserves the rights to say, see, I told you governance would come in. It's just not necessarily to the fore of their objections, contrary to what we might have thought during the current phase of negotiations or discussions, as the EU would call them. 
Indeed, and, and, and something uh, uttered in the, in the conversation about uh, nobody protesting on the streets of Belfast about the role of the European Court of Justice at the moment. Uh, but it, the emphasis is on at the moment because we are back to our old friend divergence here. The British argument is, look, there mightn't be problems now in terms of governance or the role of the ECJ, but what if the EU brings in this carbon border adjustment tax and the British don't have anything similar or matching to it. How is that going to play out in this Irish Sea border? Uh, how will that be controlled? Where will the issue be resolved? Won't that lead to uh, disagreements and falling out and maybe the European Court of Justice getting involved in making some kind of a ruling there uh, that we probably don't like and won't agree with? So, yeah, they are setting out uh, a future case for problems probably the EU would turn around and say, well, let's deal with the problems when they arise. Let's not try and head them off now. Surely what we ought to be doing now is concentrating on the form filling that goes on uh, for truck drivers bringing consignments of sausage meat et al to supermarkets in Northern Ireland. Uh, we have spoken, uh, as you know, on this pod many times over the past few months about bifurcation. Let's use a big word there in, in the, the British approach. Going back to that command paper, setting out their case back in July, that you had the practical issues to the fore and, and the most practical one of all uh, and most pressing of, of all being the medicines regulation issue, that and the customs uh, checks and the SPS checks, those things that you can tangibly touch and say, yeah, there are problems here and mm. these things do need sorting out. And then there were what we were calling the theoretical issues about the Court of Justice and the governance of the agreement. Right. And how you could see the Commission coming up with a set of solutions, which they have done, and they've put stuff on the table there, and not wanting to go down uh, the path of looking at the bigger issues, the theoretical issues. And now it seems in this big, huge shift by the British that we all missed, uh, that uh, until it was brought to our attention this afternoon, um, that, yeah, maybe they do want to just concentrate on uh, solving what we've been calling the practical issues. Right. Um, they don't think they're going to get uh, a deal by Christmas, and that echoes what Simon Coveney was telling us last week, but they, they are suggesting that uh, there are real and substantive talks going on now and are moving in the direction of concentrating all the fire on the practical elements. But it is interesting then that the practical issues being done first would leave this issue of the European Court of Justice to the end. And in previous episodes... I think it was Tony was saying that there was a reluctance on the UK side to do that because then that issue becomes isolated and possibly ends up falling off the table. There seems to be an acceptance now. Can, could, could we even surmise as to what the catalyst might have been? Might the legal advice have come back? Yeah, indeed. And, and uh, they have been talking for several weeks now uh, about how Article 16 would be used in a very limited fashion and uh, would not and indeed could not be used to address governance issues. Um, going a little bit further today, saying you know, Article 16 will be really very targeted if it was to be used at all, and they don't really want to use it at all, but you know, it's in the treaty and in extremists. They might have to uh, go there, but they really don't want to go there. But if they do go there, they expect it to be such a, a focused, uh, targeted use of uh, this uh, emergency break or safeguard clause that really the EU would need to bother retaliating uh, because there, there would be such a, a self-evident uh, breach of the agreement 
and the spirit of the agreement that you know basically the EU would more or less have to go along with it and, and would clearly agree that the British were right and that any kind of retaliation would be uh, out of the question and certainly uh, talk of suspending the trade and cooperation agreement in retaliation would be just wild talk and completely disproportionate to what was being proposed by the British. Uh, as for uh, why um, it, they may have been uh, accepting this division between the practical and the theoretical elements and uh, deciding to go for uh, a practical deal as it now looks, well, you can speculate and look at what's been happening over the past couple of months that the talks have really not been getting anywhere when they've been looking at the uh, big theoretical issues. The Commission just doesn't want to go there. Uh, but in terms of the practical issues, well, both sides have put text on the table and these are things that y they can uh, get ahead with. So it's usually better to try and take a deal rather than have no deal and cover what you can cover immediately uh, and take it off the table and then deal with the other stuff later. Mm. Perhaps also there is, in the terms of the politics, the growing realisation here in the UK that over the past month, the position of the Prime Minister uh, and the strength of his government uh, has um, diminished. Uh, he has been getting weaker. There are just too many fires to fight uh, in terms of domestic politics. There's just too much going on here in the UK. Uh, all of this Christmas party business this week and the Flatgate re-emerging, right. the backbench rebellion that's going on over COVID regulations, all of that leaves the, the Prime Minister in a position where he, the last thing he wants to be doing is opening up the prospect of a trade war with his biggest trading partner. Right. What about sanctions the on the US, though? That, 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 that prospect did open up this week. That prospect did open up this week, certainly, and also helps to, to concentrate minds. But we could see this, this shifting in the British position uh, happening over the, the uh, past month, since, since late October, really. Up on, between the start of September and the middle uh, to end of October, the British newspapers were banging the war drums on a quite a regular basis, building up to a, uh, a fully expected use of Article 16, which was being hyped up in some circles uh, on the Brexiter uh, side of, of politics here uh, as being tantamount to a nuclear missile being lobbed in the direction of Brussels. They would blast apart all of the hated elements of the uh, uh, protocol and the uh, withdrawal agreement, which they don't like, metaphorically speaking, and will be a big poke in the eye for Brussels. But that talk all started to stop, as I say, around uh, the middle of October. It went quiet. It was the dog that wasn't barking anymore. And that was the point at which the internal difficulties in the Conservative Party with the sleaze scandals uh, started to dominate and come to the fore and occupy so much of the political time that really they didn't want to have another fight, I think. Right. And that's why they started to go cold on it. <coughs> the American interventions around the steel tariffs as well has really piled pressure on them. And now is a good time, I think, to cut your losses, take what you can take, and focus on achieving what you can achieve in the near term. Right, OK. And one final row, which might be breaking out later on this evening. Uh, the, fr the French, I think, of the European Commission gave until today as the deadline to <coughs> finally sort out this issue 
on fishing licenses that were supposed to be given the French unhappy now that uh, a number of fishing licenses haven't yet been granted particularly for French fishermen fishing off Jersey the UK says it doesn't really believe that that's a deadline in the first place there are European fisheries ministers meeting in Brussels I think starting on Sunday so this it's reasonable to expect this might be on on the agenda so we're not quite out of the woods on the contentious issues even if governance has been shoved slightly and gently to the side no, but I mean, December, for those of us who, who bear the scars of service in Brussels on our back, uh, we always remember this as fisheries um, month. It's always uh, a tricky time of the year for fisheries ministers. So, yeah, they'll be all arguing about the tax and quotas into that is going to intrude, no doubt, this issue of the licensing uh, of boats. The French have been saying, look, we're down to a small number now. There has been progress over the past several weeks. They have been uh, reducing the number of licenses uh, at issue. It's now below 100, I, I understand. Uh, nevertheless, uh, and the French have been suggesting, look, uh, it's a political issue now. Why don't you just make a political decision to give out those licenses and that'll be the end of it. Um, but the British are saying, no, 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 um, we have to stick to the law. We have to stick to what's been agreed in the treaty between us. And people, particularly like Jersey, shouldn't be giving in to political pressure from a, a, a bigger, uh, more bullying uh, type of power, uh, such as the uh, French government or the EU government, that isn't it outrageous that they've been threatening to cut off power supplies, etc., etc. So, yeah, I mean, kind of holding the line there. But right. you can see that there has been progress uh, inching forward. If we're down to, uh, you know, fewer than 100 licenses, you'd think it might be solvable uh, at this stage. We'll see. It, if, if it uh, is solved, um, quickly it's part of the season of goodwill which they all hope feeds into these kind of fisheries talks at this time of year uh, but also it might again be a sign that the british would like to try and get fights off the table that they don't have to be having at the moment uh, reduce the amount of political bandwidth that has to be uh, dedicated to a whole range of issues and just narrow down uh, to fighting what the battles that they have to fight namely the management of this uh, new variant of coronavirus which is uh, seemingly by all the figures that were coming out this afternoon becoming a quite a serious issue uh, for health services certainly here in the UK here as well uh, yeah. and also the internal issues in the conservative party uh, and the uh, position of the prime minister himself that's going to take up a lot of time and as i say i don't think uh, they want to uh, start picking fights with the EU or the French or anybody else. And if they can put things off to next year, I think they'll put them off until next year. OK, right. Well, David Frost hasn't tweeted, it seems, in four days. So we won't have the statement out saying significant gaps remain. Mara Shevchevich no. hasn't tweeted a statement. Well, he hasn't tweeted in three hours, so we don't have the statement from there yet as well with... Uh, something about constructive progress made on medicines. Yeah. So same All I've heard is the meeting happened and it's over and they're just writing the statements now. So uh, as we record this at 10 past five on a Friday evening, uh, that seems to be the latest, but uh, no signs of a breakthrough. And boy, isn't that a surprise? Right, well, we'll throw it into next week's one. Okay, thanks, Sean. Thank thanks. you, Colin. Thanks for nothing. Thanks for trashing my, my reputation for probity and honesty. All the it's best. It's the week to be identified as liar. You too will have gold wallpaper. <laughs>